an interesting time overall, man. Mm. Yes. So, Code Keepers, we're back. I have Minister Zumbi with me. Um, this is going to be interesting. You know, so while Slapgate spotlighted the problem, emotionally triggered violence has been a longstanding problem in and out of our melanated communities, particularly here in our beloved USA. So let's get on code, family. Let's dive in. And it's time for us to get on code. All right. Welcome to Get On Code, the Fly Guy Show, which is a series of melanated conversations focused on empowerment, health, wealth, and knowledge of self. People think in binary choices because they are conditioned to. And on the wall was a picture of a wolf and a lion. I think the wolf was the Democratic Party, the lion was the Republicans. But the drug trade and all these illegal stuff that uh, people do, that's still economics. It's just that they couldn't do it in a traditional system. We're talking about melanated wealth. So we can build wealth, but we just, for some reason, don't seem to be able to transfer it. You had a great experience. Fine. That means nothing. What were you told as a child about education? You had to be how many times better? Every impression without an expression becomes depression. All right, y'all. So it's hurt folk, hurt folk. The inner inward syndrome. We're going to be dealing with mental health and good brother will smith and uh jokingly i've heard people say that we should just call him smith because he has no will <laughs> all right all right hey uh zombie man come back in because i hear uh, the hum is even more pronounced now okay can, can you hear me i can i can hear okay you. That's better. That's better. Okay. So, hey, we have with us on the line all the way from New York City. Well, not New York <laughs> City, but New York State. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hear New York and I get amped up. Minister oh, Zumbi, yeah. how you doing tonight, brother? Good, man. You know, it's finally spring. You know, um, I can put away my uh, goose down. So it's, it's I say cool. that. Yeah. Out of the cold into the warm. So let's go. Let's go ahead and warm it up, man. So mm. hurt folk, hurt folk, the mm. inner inward syndrome. Right. I know that we've been talking about it. We talked about it last week since Slapgate happened. People have been discussing it. But I think it brings up a larger message which deals with mental health. Trauma and the inner inward syndrome. Um, now, you said something I definitely want to start off with. What's your take on this whole Slapgate situation? Boy. I mean, I, I remember when I first heard it, and I said, oh, man, not again. And it just went viral. I mean, it took over Facebook for, like, the next 48 hours. Um. But now the more I digest it and the more I reflect on it, here's where I start. Okay. Number one, I'm looking at Chris Rock and I'm asking the question, why is he trying to make an award ceremony into a celebrity roast? Okay, that's number one, especially when you've got elders in the audience like Denzel and Samuel L. Jackson. 
okay. Number two, you know, the way that Will acted, and maybe I'm saying this a bit cynically, but I stand behind it. Moral of the story, leave Scientology alone. Okay. Ever since Jada did that movie with Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx, Will and Jada have not been right. And I, and I put that at the feet of Scientology. Leave that alone. That is the new Satanism in Hollywood. Okay? All right. And, All right. And, yeah. yeah. And, and for some of you who may remember when Satanism was big in Hollywood, uh, one of our great performers, Sammy Davis Jr., if you go back into his first autobiography, Why Me?, he talks about hanging with Anton LaVey, who's the founder of it. And the part of the main reason why he was in Satanism so deep was because he could get women. That might be a, a nice draw for them. <laughs> okay. So, so it seems like when, 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 we, when we get into, you know, we get into spaces like this, you know, some, some, some Stanley Kubrick eyes wide shut type of thing. We, we don't, we don't get right or we don't stay right. So there's something going on in Hollywood that it ain't, it ain't healthy. It ain't right for African people. You know, yeah, it, you definitely you definitely have a different take on that, bro. Yeah, and 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 then and then I want to go into it further. Now, people who have talked about, uh, well, Chris Rock is a comedian. That's what he's supposed to do. Um, it's just a joke. Let's be honest, okay? Real comedians, real comedians, everybody is fair game. There are no sacred cows. I might be dating myself, but go back and study Don Rickles. Who, by the way, they put him in a dress, but that's a sidebar. You went back to Don Rickles. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you've dated yourself, bro. You've dated okay. yourself. <laughs> but when you look at Don Rickles, everybody was fair game, including other Jewish people. He spared nobody. All right. So now when everybody tries to talk about, well, Chris Rock, he tells a joke about I said, we all know that certain groups are untouchable and off limits when it comes to comedy. And those very groups are the ones who own control and dominate Hollywood today. OK, you will never hear Chris Rock make a joke like that about Dustin Hoffman's wife or Rosie O'Donnell's husband. So let's keep it a buck. Hmm. Okay. So let's 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 cut the clown thing about well, he's telling it no. Cause like I said, real comedians, nobody is safe. Nobody. Interesting. Interesting. So that's another conversation, man. Mm -hmm. We we really gotta talk about the uh guidelines. <laughs> that we see that okay. others yeah 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 but you know how does this lead to empowerment this is how this leads to empowerment i see 
this whole situation as a trauma response. Mm, mm. Okay. And so trauma is an emotional response to a terrible event like an accident, rape, assault, a natural disaster. Immediately after the event, shock and denial are typical, but long-term reactions really vary. Mm. So they can vary as much as having sickness. And I'm talking about physical sickness. Right. It can turn into anxiety. You can see OCD symptoms, uh, obsessive compulsion disorder. Mm. You can see those symptoms develop. You can see hallucinations where a person becomes, um, they develop mental, you know, disfigurations and mental conditions based Mm. on earlier trauma. Right. Right. And then you can also see possibly considered unprovoked violence. Mm. And interestingly enough, that unprovoked violence is often seen as something's wrong with them, not something happened to them. Mm. And so in our school system now, we have this trauma-informed educational experience. We're trying to make sure that our teachers approach the situation when they have a student acting out as a student acting out a trauma Mm. they've experienced. Okay. So misbehavior is really in this framework, in trauma-informed, in the trauma-informed framework, misbehavior is an expression of somebody managing, handling, being triggered by or processing earlier trauma. Okay. And so, you know, you have uh, students and this, I learned this back in the nineties when I first started working in school systems that when a child has experienced trauma, their spatial understanding changes. Mm -hmm. So you'll find a student who the teachers across the room and they'll raise their voice. They're not yelling, but they right. raise their voice. And the students say, get out of my face. Mm. And the teacher's like, I ain't even close to you. Mm. Is you crazy? <laughs> mm. But because of the earlier trauma that child has experienced, they feel like their, their personal space really has extended. And they feel like their personal space has been invaded. Now, here's the interesting thing. A person who's faced physical abuse, physical trauma, trauma by which they couldn't do anything to stop it, okay? Any type of intrusion feels, feels to them, any type of intrusion feels to them like physical intrusion. So if they're talking with their friends and they're really engaged in the conversation, and you interrupt them, that intrusion feels to them as if you're in their personal space and you're threatening them. Right. Because that's what happened, What that is what has happened as a precursor to the violence that they faced earlier on in life. Mm. And it might be physical violence, it might be sexual violence, it might be emotional violence, you know, it, it, it might be a whole lot of different forms of trauma that happens. So, you know, the four types of trauma most recognized are flight, 
fight, freeze, and fawn. Now, I, I use a little different language. I okay. say fight, flight, freeze, or freak out. Mm, okay. All right. So now, when we deal with um, our, our police officers who are protecting and serving the community, if they place their hand on a gun, if they draw their weapon, if they say or they mention that they have the weapon and they will use it if you don't to comply, many times people will have one of these four Fs, these four trauma responses. They'll fight because they're trying to save their life. They'll flight. They'll take flight. They'll run. Now, you and I, I, I know my parents beating my head, don't run from the cops. Don't run from the cops. Don't run from the cops. We have police officers that worked with the African Center School I grew up with. Don't run from cops. Don't run from cops. Don't run from cops. And they told us this. What happens when you and your friends are playing tag? You know, it's just you and the boys. You're playing tag. Right. And you get a chance. You're running fast. You're running fast. And one of your friends who's, who is the it person has to run and catch you. What mm. do they do when they catch you? When it's just the boys, we rough each other up a little bit. Right. Right? Mm. That's natural, right? You don't mm. you weren't taught that. We weren't taught that. You weren't taught once you catch them, you gotta beat them up. Mm. That's kind of natural. Mm. And what we have are these grown boys who have badges. Not all. Right. Once they catch up with the person that they were running, they 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 do what boys do. Mm -hmm. All right, so you got fight, flight, freeze. Now, here's the interesting thing: if your response to trauma is you freeze, police officers think you're complying. interesting right and 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 then freak out <laughs> you know mm. some people do freak yeah. out and we've seen that uh in some cases when people have freaked out then things have not gone well for them right all right so but my point is those are some of the common trauma responses you mm. can actually add up to six if you want but yeah. these are the, the four that that most people deal with so most people who experience traumatic events don't commit future acts of violence. However, some folk do. And that brings us to our conversation tonight. Hurt folk, hurt folk. The inner yeah. inward syndrome. Um, so I believe that if we look at both Will Smith's response and Chris Rock's response. We see trauma. Okay. So look, okay, what was Will's response? Will's response was fight. Right. What was Chris Rock's response? His response was freeze. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Both of them were traumatic responses. Mm. That's my take on it. Okay. Your take on it is stay the hell away from Scientology. <laughs> yeah. Now that's you know I guess you would call it kind of a street thing, but but as you were talking, I I go back to uh, our ancestor, Dr. Patricia Newton, and she talks about what 
you know, she was defining what a syndrome is and she was defining um, other, I guess you would say, psychiatric definitions. And to take it on a broader or a larger scale, uh, one could take Will's response as misplaced aggression. And what I mean by that is, and I've noticed this a lot with African men, is how many times have you seen African men fail to confront the real source of their frustration, but take it out on those who are closest to them? Yeah, expedient. Just like them. Okay. And, and, and a lot of times where as African men, because of the trauma that we've yet to address historically, you know, and, and I go back to the, uh, if you have not seen the documentary Buck Breaking, directed by Tariq Nasheed, yep. y'all need to cop that. Yep, yep. Okay, yep. because I, I saw two men kind of act out being buck broken because has either one really addressed the true source of their respective frustration right 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 you, you, you see what i'm saying so it seems like we i i don't know what it is but for whatever reason we always go after the brother, but never the other. And that's the inner inward syndrome. Okay. Okay. That, that's what I'm, I'm using to describe the inner right. inward syndrome. Mm -hmm. You know, us hurting us when we're mad at something else. Right. 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 Cause, cause, cause look, normally when you lash out, mm -hmm. you don't necessarily lash out at something that you consider being above you. You lash right. at something that's right here. Mm -hmm. And when the trauma that you've experienced, when the anger that you've experienced, when something brings you down to your lowest, when you get down to your inward level, you know, because look, you know, you and I both grew up, I'm probably you heard that there was a difference between black folks and N-words. Mm. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Right, 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 right. So we would consider on the totem pole, on the hierarchy, if you will, the N-word at the bottom. Right. And, you know, black folk, African people, the melanated, you know, whatever term you yeah. want to use. Mm -hmm. um, indigenous, you know, pick a term, any term. Right. But we always have considered the N-word to be the lowest form of us. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So when it, when we talk about real niggas do real things, we're talking about the lowest form of us do things that hurt, harm, and others so we can get over. It. Right. That's and, the lowest form, right? Yeah. And 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 I've always said this: ends are nothing but white man Frankenstein's. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> All right, Zumba, you got to go in on that. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Okay, I forgot who said it. I think it was Chairman Fred Hampton Jr. He said that God made Africans, but America made ends. 
And when you really look at this character called the end, who designed it? Who designed its mindset? Who possessed its spirit? Okay, because we're not that way by nature. Uh, I think it was uh, Reverend Philippe Matthews. He says, nothing is wrong with us, but something has happened to us. To us. And, and I, you know, some may call it being rudely interrupted uh, via the Mayafa or what's called the Great Disaster. And we've been trying to get ourselves back on course, but we're in this toxic incubator. And having to deal with things that are not of us. Okay. And in order for, and I think Dr. Amos Wilson said it best. He says, in order for America to operate the way it does, African people must be out of their minds. They have to be. Okay. Now, I'm pretty sure this isn't the first time that somebody has said ill things about jada okay true so 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 what i'm saying is how much was he swallowing to the point where by the time we reach chris rock kaboom absolutely so the trauma that he's experienced mm -hmm came to a head now interestingly enough he talked in one of his uh conversations where he said that you know not being able to protect his mother at a vulnerable age you know he was really mm. young and okay. his his mother was attacked mm. by his father mm. that he's never been able to get over the fact that he was not able to protect his mother okay and and i think and i think that has played itself out in his adult life in in various ways where will came up in west philadelphia born okay. and raised all right so basically he came into i guess for a lack of a better term a huxtable type of setting all right so Okay. Put a pin in that. Put a pin in that. All right. Put a hmm. pin in that. So he left a situation where you had to be strong. You had to be able to protect. Uh, you had to be able to fight. You had to be able to take over. And even in his Fresh Prince of Bel-Air movie, his whole thing was he was too soft for West Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. So his mom said, I'm sending you to your auntie and uncle in Bel Air. Mm. His mom got scared. I'm sending you to your aunt and uncle or auntie or uncle and auntie in Bel Air. Mm. Well, well, that's not really what happened to Will. But in some ways, that's exactly what happened to Will. Mm -hmm. Continue. Yeah. And, and, and then, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that because, and I'm going to date myself during what we call that golden age of hip-hop and you look at the groups and MCs that were there will had to navigate himself through that i'm talking about 
you're you're in a you're in a climate where in the Bronx we get KRS one. Long Island, we've got Rakim sitting here, EPMD sitting here, Public Enemy sitting here. You've got Gangstar emerging out of Brooklyn. So you had a lot of edge in the MCing. And you didn't get that from Will. But that's not who that's not Will's makeup. Okay. I mean, when 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 Hammer gets more respect than Will Smith, you know there's a problem. All right. So maybe sometimes because of Will's background, his socioeconomic background, he's being forced to act outside of himself, you know, just to say I belong or to say I'm not this soft, tasty cake that you think I am. Okay. In fact, there was an interview that was done with uh, Pepper, Salt and Pepper. She said the reason why she chose Tretch over Will was she thought Will was too much of a nice guy. So she chose Tretch. But she said in retrospect, what did I pass on? Lesson. Message. <laughs> now this yeah. this is yeah this is her in the interview. So even going back into the days when he first came on the scene as one half of DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, okay, you had to fight for respectability because, like I said, unlike the other MCs who had more of an edge, you know, even even as middle class as Public Enemy and EPMD were. They had an edge because they brought, you know, the funk with them. All right. So so Will has always been in a situation, I say, personally and professionally, where he always had to fight for respect. Even when he went to Hollywood, he had to fight to be respected, I dare say, just as a man. But because of how manhood has been defined, Will has tried to fit certain definitions of manhood. Okay. And so I think that's been part of Will's dilemma is having to try to act out this character that people say is a man, but the way his manhood is, is different. Okay. All right. Hey, hey. Go ahead. Augustus, man. Yeah, we didn't forget about Steady B and Cool C from Philly. Because the Philly scene was a little different. Mm-hmm. The Philly scene. I mean, look, gangster rap, if you want to use that term, gangster yeah. rap. Mm-hmm. Gangster rap developed in Philadelphia. Yeah. Hip hop hip hop historians will tell you that Schooly D Schooly was D. the first gangster rapper. Mm-hmm. You know. Looking at Makuchi, it's about that time, you know. Yeah. Schoolie D and his lyrics with Parkside, and I, you know, Parkside Five Two was a gang that he was involved in, from mm. what I've learned. Okay. What I've learned, and kind of what I gathered when I used to rock along to his songs. And you had the Tough Crew. Yo, right. do you remember the Tough Crew? Ooh. Yeah. You know, yo, Philly was just. Hey, thank you, Augustus, man. Thank you. Um. 
Yeah. Philly was just something even I'm not gonna say it was more violent. I'm not gonna say it was more dangerous. I'm not gonna say the environment was worse because the South Bronx was horrible. And right. out of that trash that our government and the city officials and the landlords and everyone conspired, you know, right. um out of that a healthy culture developed. Now, as everything else, it has its good and its bad. So okay. but I think your point. Going back to your point is from his impetus as a performer, mm-hmm. when everyone else, uh, like Augustus said, cool C, steady right. B, right. You know, uh even Lady B, who was a the radio station person yeah. in Philadelphia, he was who was the first one to really have a hip hop show, you know, salute mm-hmm. Lady B. Um yeah. saw her in a video, she still looks gorgeous, and it's good to see that she's still making impressions in the uh, culture. So salute to uh, Lady B. Right. Um, with all of that happening, he found his niche, not in the hard rock, but in like the playful. Yeah. Joking, you know, you know, that's, and that's who he was. Um, I was just thinking, do you realize that the hardest song that Will Smith ever did was brand new funk. Mm, okay, See, that was. I have, I have to say, I've never was a Fresh Prince and Jazzy Jeff fan. I did okay. like brand new funk. I did okay. like brand new funk. I thought it was dope. Now, yeah. for me, that was no. The dopest was the live show. Mm. The live show, that recording of their live performance was. Hands as a DJ was one of the best things I ever heard in my life. Oh, you mean the live performance of Brand New Funk? The live perform on one of their albums, they had uh, Fresh Prince and Jazzy Jeff. I'm sorry, Jazzy Jeff and Fresh Prince, as it was originally, performing live. And you know, yeah. that's the one where he was like, "All the girls who have AIDS, be quiet." Ooh. All the ugly girls, be quiet. And, you know, um, I can't think of the, the MC from okay. Philly who made that song, All the Ugly People, Be Quiet. But the mm-hmm. first person I heard do that was Fresh Prince. Okay. And he was like, all the girls who, yeah, he, he said some other stuff that might even be considered anti-LGBTQIA right. now. But <laughs> so I'm not going to report that. Okay. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I, brand new funk is his hardest. That's interesting. From you know, I, I guess you know, looking at it as as a from a DJ perspective, and putting it within the context of his contemporaries. Okay, because again, when when you were in that, especially from let's say eighty seven to ninety one. In the in the on the East Coast, you know, nothing is soft. Nothing was soft because you were dealing with issues. Um, you know, you really had to be about the politics of the day. Okay. And I don't want to say that Will was comic relief, but Will was, I guess you would say his his style of rap was more like a, a releasing pressure if you will 
Okay, I, I, and, I can and, go for that. Yeah, I can so go it, for that. yeah, it was it was like he was, re- uh, you know, uh, a pressure release. You know, and he it was good for what he did, and I and that's why I say you know maybe the travesty of it all is Will being placed in a position to act outside of himself in order to fit in. And, and, and it's funny we talk about that because if you go back and look at Guru, he did the same thing. Hmm. All right. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm just kind of giving you an analogy. All right. Well, you're the hip-hop historian. <laughs> Yo, salute you for that. But All right. Now, back to my piece about, you know, <sighs> hurt folk, hurt folk. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I did get a chance to do Um, Of course, you know, we've all been listening to people talk about it. And one of the people I really highly look up to, she's like one of my celebrity crushes. Um, This sister is incredibly intelligent. Mm -hmm. Dr. Uh, Venus, Dr. Venus Opal Williams, I think is her name. Mm. Uh, We call her Dr. Venus. Um, I want to play something that she talked about. And I like to get your response. I actually haven't heard the whole thing. Okay. But one of the things that she talked about is this. So she wrote, well, oh, by the way, you can catch the Fly Guy, I mean, Get On Code show, the Fly Guy show, on mm-hmm. your Apple podcast. So uh, wherever you get your podcast, look for Get On Code, subscribe, and leave me some feedback. I would love to get some feedback. You know, Let me know if you're loving the show. So check us out on wherever you find podcasts and leave us a great or a horrible feedback. <laughs> but um, she says, Dr. Venus, Dr. Venus Opal Reese mm-hmm. says in her, 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 uh, her video, she calls it will slap character flaw or trauma response. Mm. Then she says, this is not an excuse. This is an explanation, and an explanation I've been developing since 1997 when I started my second master's degree and PhD at Stanford University. So, Dr. Venus Opal, you know, she has a doctorate. She's also a self-made millionaire, and mm. what she's done is she's taken her pain, the pain that she's felt in her life, and you know, she's turned that into monetary. You know, she's turned that. She's been able to monetize her misery. Okay. I like that. She's been able to monetize her misery. She says, why do black people, quote unquote, black people hurt each other? I am an identity theorist by training. And I didn't even realize that an identity theorist was a thing, but it's a thing. My area of study is the formation of cultural identity from African slavery through the middle passage to chattel slavery. Cultural trauma is where I lay my hat. As crazy as it may sound, trauma makes sense to me. I grew up in trauma and been studying it, unpacking it, and healing from it since I was six years old. So when I heard Will Smith yelling at Chris Rock after slapping him in front of the world, my body reacted the same way it did when my mama yelled and slapped one of us kids. The violence in his voice triggered my history of violence. It took me almost a week to process my triggers. And in the process, I saw the historical trauma being enacted and embedded at the 2002 Oscar Awards. So if you don't know Dr. Venus, 
um, she went through a whole lot of trauma, physical trauma, abandonment. Her mother was trying to have an abortion. Her father stopped the mother from having an abortion. But then the father disappeared from the scene after stopping the mother from having the abortion. Okay. Uh, she dealt with a lot of physical trauma. Uh, she dealt with uh, multiple rapes. Mm. And um, she, she's gone through a whole lot. This sister's just really gone through a whole lot. And she talks about how historical trauma impacts the way people of African descent, you know, the melanated, you know, yeah. black people, you know, indigenous people, indigenous Americans, <laughs> you know, whatever term you want to go with right now, Moorish, right. you mm-hmm. know, you know, uh, copper colored, <laughs> you know, all the terms that we're working through now, yeah. you know, we're trying to find the right one, the Negro, you know, I say us. Um, so, what I want to do is play a little bit of what she has to say, and then I'd like to get your feedback on her, her statement. So check this out. Glad you're here. And this, let me know if this is making sense in terms of really starting to contend with the notion of the physiology of survival. Okay. Okay. Thank you for the hearts. Thank you for the smiley faces. Okay. So this is the thing I need you to hear is that there are different kinds of threats. There's a threat to your money, there's a threat to your body, there's a threat to your life, there's a threat to your love, and there's also a threat to your identity. For all of my men who are fathers and who take that identity on, they, the identity dad is so real for them that they will work 511 jobs to make sure their kids, their kids have the best and they will self-sacrifice their own needs because they're a father before they are a man, before they are a spouse, before they are a husband, or even before they're a son. There are some sons who are so, the the identity is son, is that they will take care of their mama even when their mama not good to them. Does it make sense? It's a real word, okay? Because the identity, how you see yourself, who you know yourself to be, is as real as your physical body, okay? I hope that's landing. Someone let me know if that did that did that land? Let me know to say to say it landed. That way I can tell. Okay. And so my point is what I'm asking us as a people, as people of African ancestry from North America specifically, but we can do that diaspora, is to start to contend with that we have identities that get threatened and they feel as real as if there's a gun to your head. Look in your own real life to see it. Oh, thank you, Goda. I appreciate that. Okay, look in your own real life. If you could think of a time when you have been, you have felt like somebody was coming at you and you found out, oh, they weren't. Or you find out, you feel like someone is um, trying to take something from you and you find out, oh, they didn't. Or you find out, you feel like somebody is um, trashing your name. And you find out later they weren't. You you, ha- you need to get. I need y'all to get into that space so you can hear the rest of this. Okay, you have to be able to see in your own self something before you can see it in somebody else. If you want to have great relationships with your children, you have to see it in yourself before you say it to them. Because if you can't see you doing it, you won't have compassion for when they do it. Okay, if you're in a love relationship and you say you want to be in love, but you have you can't relate to what that person's going through, you got to map it onto yourself first. 
you got to map it onto yourself first. You can't see it from the outside. You got to get inside. You got to get in, you got to walk in someone's shoes for real, for real, in order to feel them, to get an understanding of them as a human being. Okay. So my whole point is this. If you can take the case that we as black people are related to as non-human, then we don't have permission to get mad. We don't have permission to get angry. We don't have permission to lose our temper. We don't have permission to, to flex. We have no permission to defend or protect. We have none. Look at history. Don't take my word for it. Look at history. I just need you to see this from a larger perspective that as human beings, black people, we don't get, we don't score. You know what I'm saying? Like, like we, we're supposed to be able to take it. Yes, master. Yes, master. Ha ha, master. Yes, master. We must be able to take it no matter what or from whom. And if we do anything that's not respectable, we lose everything. The punitive consequence is steep. We lose respect, we lose money, we lose credibility, we lose access, we lose everything. If you think about Muhammad Ali saying, I am not gonna go fight in Vietnam for a country that won't defend me. And you know, and they, they blackballed him. Y'all know this story. They blackballed Muhammad Ali for years, okay? For years. And because they blackballed him, he couldn't play basketball, sorry, box. And then when he finally could box, it was years later and it took a toll on his body, which made him be get sick from all of the pounding. Do you see what I'm saying? But he got punished for saying no. He got punished for saying, no, I'm not gonna go fighting your war. I'm not doing it. And there was punitive consequence for him. We can When Whoopi Goldberg didn't wear her hair straight, black people came for her like crazy. They said she was ugly. They said that she was too dark. I mean, I mean, we could run this. Do you understand? When President Obama didn't do what respectable black liberals thought he should have done, they dragged him through the they dragged him through the mud. Tavis Smiley, Cornell West, no shame to it, but because they weren't doing it the way that he they thought he should have done it, they blackened his name. I want you to hear punitive consequence because when you as a black person are not respectable, the people who come for you are black people. White people punish, black people we crucify. And we crucify our own because we think it means something about us. It's a reflecting on us. And that's only because historically we have not been related to as people who have different kinds of feelings and, 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 and hurts. So I need you to hear all of that before I get to this. Are we clear? Thank you. I know it's important to say, Rachel, because it is heartbreaking. But we don't recall, we don't relate to each other as human. We we make people we make people gods, not humans. As human beings, you have the full spectrum, the full spectrum of your emotions. But when, when a white man loses his temper, or when a white woman starts to cry, we grant them grace. We're fine with that. Let a white woman start crying, and we're like, oh, we, you know what I'm saying? It's like, how can I say it? Um, the world stops when a white woman cries. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, or if, if a, but if a, if a black man looks a little bit like 
oh, oh, then it gives, it, it, it has an impact on, how can I say this, God? Let me say it beautiful. It positions us as less than human because as a human being, we shouldn't feel and we shouldn't be out of control. Oh my God. Okay. So prayerfully, you can hold that. Okay. So hold that context. So you get an understanding that historically we have been treated as less than human. So as a person, as a body, as a social being that has no, who's not related to as a human, then when we have human responses, it's like big news because we're not fitting into the, we're not playing, we're not fitting into the roles anymore. Your thoughts, Zombie. Your thoughts, bro. Well, well, here, here's how I'll approach it. I'll approach it, I guess, a little more narrower than what uh, Dr. Venus has. Okay. There was a quote that I took from one of Malcolm's closest aides, uh, Brother Earl Grant, who's an ancestor now. And he said something like this. He said, and this was from an interview he did with uh, Brother Gil Noble, like it is. This country doesn't allow black males to mature. It allows them to grow up physically, but not to mature mentally, intellectually, spiritually. And Malcolm gave black men that chance in this country. Okay. And so what I think part of what she was getting at is that as a, as a people, we suffer from what, what, what I would call arrested development. Okay, because now you're being forced to act, to act something that's unreal and illogical. Now, if I narrow it down to the case of African men, and the, the question that, that you had posed earlier, Bobby Wright, uh, Dr. Bobby Wright, posed the same question. Why do African people hurt African people? Because they've never been trained to confront their enemy. And I call it the confronting Mr. Covey syndrome. Okay, because we- Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Covey, who's Mr. Covey? Okay, for those of you who have read Frederick Ghost's <laughs> first book, Mr. Covey was the infamous end breaker where he, where basically they would send enslaved Africans to his plantation in Maryland and he was supposed to basically break their spirit or basically beat whatever desire for liberation that they had out of them. So when Douglas first got there, I think he may have been only 13 or 14, he tried to organize the the, the people and basically was beaten to within an inch of his life. So he took the time, healed his wounds, etc. One day here comes Mr. Covey and Douglas was about 14, 15 years old. And he says, you know what? I'm going to get free or die trying. And so he basically fought Mr. Covey for now, according to Douglas, he said it was a couple of hours until they fought him to uh, a draw, basically. And Mr. Covey never bothered him again, but that was a game changer for Douglas because he confronted the source of his frustration. 
okay and you know like i said earlier i think a lot of times many of us are afraid to address the real source of our frustration and i'll tell you uh my experiences um whenever i showed the ability to confront white people when i felt like i've been wrong all of a sudden other family members were telling me i'm out of line so here i yeah so here i am yeah, carrying yeah. this malcolm spirit amongst others who are afraid to see me act out what nature intended for me to be it's not just you brother okay yeah it's not just you we can look at dr martin luther king as an example because right now all our elders mm. <laughs> all our elders 16 above i marched with um king i marched with dr king most of them well i'm sorry many of them <laughs> weren't marching with dr king check right <laughs> many of them were secondly he was kicked out of his church because the elders in the church were like you're gonna get us all in trouble okay right right which is all right uh and, and you'll find that there were even and you know the names i don't know the names i don't keep that part of okay. information in my brain but there was a light-skinned brother who the um the the government had going around saying that uh, martin luther king was a traitor he was a communist and black people mm. shouldn't follow him i can't yeah. think of his name but he was propped up he was in the, all the newspapers he was on mm. television all the time and so so that that liberation theology and passion spirit that right. dr king had others many of his elders were telling him to pipe down mm -hmm. when we look at what's happening now with the the rise in consciousness and the quote-unquote woke behavior of our youth right. a lot of our elders are saying pipe down because they're still fighting for civil rights. Now, I don't know who civil is. I don't know who the right family is, but mm -hmm. they're still fighting for civil rights. Okay. We're, fi we're fighting for empowerment. So it really seems like we're doing the wrong thing to many of our elders, which is one of the reasons why Jason Black says you can't trust them old N-words. Because, <laughs> <laughs> look, they're fighting to get along. They're fighting so right. everybody sees them and sees them as a whole person. Mm -hmm. We need to fight for empowerment. Right. We focused well, on having people love us and treat right. us right and see us as equal people. And in doing so, we let many of our institutions fall. Mm -hmm. We let our financial stability fall. Yes. And now anybody can take advantage of us because we don't have our institutions intact enough to fight off evil supremacy. And we don't have the finances to fight off evil supremacy because we wanted to get along with people. We wanted to be able to sit next to Tom and Deborah. And we didn't fight to say until we get ourselves in a financial situation where the government does not allow acts of terrorism to happen to us. We're not going to worry about sitting down with Tom and Deborah. Tom and Deborah are cool. We love them. We'll pray for them. You know, we'll you know, if you come to our party, we'll party with you. Mm. But we're not going to. We're not going to. I I think in hindsight, we put too much emphasis on trying to sit down with Tom and Deborah mm. when we should have been making sure that we were able to prevent those who wished us harm to be able to do us harm. And I I think I went off topic. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, no, but but here, here's how I would put this, okay? African people really have only one of two choices. You are either going to choose liberation in your own situation or better treatment on the plantation. And there's no middle ground in that. Okay. And I think this is why Malcolm was so scary to not only mainstream black America, but also white America, because Malcolm was being what nature built him to be a man, not just an African man, but a man. I see. Okay. So, so I think something happened to us to where we've equated fulfilling our manhood with the possibility of a physical death. Uh, you won't get tenure. You will be ex uh, exiled either from yeah. your church or your job or your political position. You won't get us all in trouble. Okay. But, <laughs> but my whole thing is if you're going to get in trouble, don't be a bitch about it. At least be your authentic self. If, if you know, that's going to be the case, you know, we had, uh, you know, the ancestor, John Lewis, I think his name was John Lewis. Mm. He was the gentleman who was beaten up on the Ed Edmund Pettus bridge during bloody Sunday. Yeah, that's him. That's him. Okay. Yeah. 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 So I, I do give credence and salutes to all the work he did during the civil rights time period. Mm. But as I ask, you know, as, as I speak to many of our civil rights soldiers, they say, "Well, we marched with we marched with Martin. Why'd you stop? Why'd you stop marching? Why'd you stop fighting? Why'd you stop organizing? Why'd you stop? Well, he got killed. Why did you stop? Mm -hmm. What should have happened? And this might be just us looking in retrospect. And we have that privilege. That's right. not a privilege that our um, our predecessors necessarily had. Mm -hmm. But what would have happened if we would have?" filed a complaint or taken to court all of those police officers all those evil supremacists with badges who beat up our people on the edmund pettus bridge hmm. okay what would have happened if we would have adjudicated that if we would have taken them to court right we wouldn't and, be dealing with police overreach right now mm -hmm. and we would you know it it's sad but I heard one person say that part of the reason why we suffer what I call the domestic terrorism that we continue to suffer. Some people blame King for that because King taught the race soldiers how to treat us. And because King played a moral game with an immoral society and the immoral people. A lot of people got hurt in the process. You know, there's a quote that I always use from the Honorable Marcus Garvey. He says, power is the only argument that satisfies man. I have something that's a little more trite. Mm. And it's play a stupid game, win a stupid prize. Mm, okay. So our civil rights soldiers in some cases i'm not saying in the entirety of the civil rights process right but in some areas particularly towards the end 
we played a stupid game and we won a stupid prize. Mm. And now, and I yeah. And, I want to salute uh, Augustus who says oh, yeah. the three fifths of a person in the Constitution made the original man. That's another term. Okay. <laughs> original man, yeah. indigenous, the forefathers. Mm. You know, the copper skinned, the melanated, yeah. the so called black, the quote unquote mm. black, the commonly called black, right. the uh, you know whatever term you want to use. Hey, a salute <laughs> to you, August man. Um, mm. Made the original man less than human and looked at as a beast, which kind of goes to what Doctor Venus was saying, right? And, and then the woman was put over the man, not to love him, not to walk beside him. Not to protect him, but to control him. Mm. I think that's an interesting point, Augustus, man. Interesting yeah. point. Yeah, and and what we also notice with that, Malcolm heightened the contradiction of what was going on with uh, the civil rights movement and people using civil disobedience as their vehicle to get to where they said they wanted to be. Okay, so when Malcolm's analysis heightened the contradiction, it it really put a lot of people in a tight situation. It's kind of like, okay, I'm looking at this. I know it doesn't work, but you're locked into, like you said, you're locked into a stupid game looking for a stupid prize. And therein lies the inner inward syndrome. Okay. We get stuck down here mm-hmm. and we look to fight and battle and argue with people who are down here right. when our our real problem is right here. Mm-hmm. And we don't go after the real problem. Mm-hmm. And that's what I call the inner inward syndrome. So we're right. going to fight each other mm-hmm. because we really can't deal with the true source that's actually inflicting trauma upon us. So we act out our trauma on our inward level right and and you know it's interesting you know everybody says that what happened this past sunday was the slap around the world no it wasn't and i think you and i are probably old enough the real slap around the world was our ancestor sydney portier and what he did on that screen Okay, that was revolutionary because for African, for an oppressed people to see one of their own confront their oppressor and take nothing off him, that's a revolutionary moment. Okay, where now you've taken away that cloak of invincibility to say, wait a minute, he's just a man like me. It is going ultras. He's just a man like me. He bleeds like me. He walks like me. He talks like me. And I have the God-given right to be respected just as much as any other group of people. So that uh, scene from In the Heat of the Night, that was revolutionary television. Because it, it showed African people, hey, I can confront the beast without anything happening to me okay now i i don't know what so you're saying that when this slap happened Mm -hmm. it truly was heard and felt around the world oh no doubt 
And the fact that you chose someone like Sidney Portier, he wasn't being stereotypical. This cat was being dignified, classy. But he let you know, look here, I am Mr. Tibbs. And you will treat me as such. Okay. So that's why I said this right here was revolutionary television because of the image that it showed African people that we can confront our enemy okay and that's why i said it took away that cloak of invincibility of the enemy so that was the real slap around the world all right <laughs> I okay I, I didn't see that coming yeah but but see and, that's why i said when when i um, do have to say you are kind of old school you know if you say that you're showing your age that's your age. I saw that in reruns. I first saw that on YouTube. <laughs> so so did I. But you know, when, when you grow up around elders as a child, you kind of get fed, you know, uh, a lot more than what the average child would get. You know, so um so so that really sticks with, with people. I mean, think about it. If you were a child growing up in that era. And you saw a man who looks like you take on his oppressor fearlessly. I mean, Sydney didn't even think about it. Oh, you slap me? You know, what is it? Uh, you kill smack my dog. Smack me and I'll smack, smack you back. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And like sugar smacks. <laughs> you know, because what, what he showed us, what, what Sydney showed us in, in, in that clip, self-defense is not a crime hey you know as the gods and earths one of the first lessons is that uh the uh, self-preservation the first law of the first law of life is self-preservation right okay one of the well, i can't remember how i can't remember how they said uh, we said the, it. the first law of nature is self-preservation the first law of nature is self-preservation mm -hmm. yeah yeah you know, and, and that's why I said for for African people to see that, to say, I have a right to defend myself, not just physically, but mentally, emotionally, spiritually. I have that right. And no one has the right to take that away from me. Every human being has the right to self-defense. So let's bring this back. Yeah. Mm-hmm if the first law of nature is self-preservation right if everyone has the right for self-defense mm -hmm. then this then this actually cements my belief that this was a trauma response mm -hmm. because if it was a act of self-efficacy if it was an act of self-preservation, mm. if it was an act of I'm demonstrating my manhood, okay. we wouldn't have had this response later. No. And I think unless, yeah. unless mm -hmm. he, as an example of us or we, I can just say we, we, we are so buck broken mm -hmm. that when we do assert ourselves, when we do protect 
something that we love, even though it might be damaging to us. Like Dr. Uh, Opal said, you know, when a son will protect his mother, even when the mother is abusive to them. Mm. That's why I really think that this was an act of trauma because he didn't, I mean, he walked away triumphant. Right. And then that's when the B in him really showed up. He sat mm-hmm. down, keep my wife's name. Now, that wasn't empowerment. I, th- I kind of looked at him like, dude, you acting like a little, you know, right now, you know. Yeah. So that's why I believe that this was the act of trauma. Mm-hmm. And many of us, our actions are not necessarily to become more manhood or womanhood. Right. And, and I'm willing to bet you, since he's been out in Hollywood, how much verbal assault and other types of psychological and emotional assault has Will suffered at the hands of white executives of Hollywood to where he felt that there was no mechanism or apparatus for him to defend himself from that onslaught. I mean, we can bring up Terry Crews as a prime example where you're sitting up here and you allow a white man half your size to grope you in front of your wife. Yeah. Okay. And and I think what, what we're seeing is, is that there's a I'll basically call it. There's an agenda to demonize, criminalize, and vilify African manhood. And interesting, interesting timing with the bell. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, be, because there seems to be this agenda to basically destroy African manhood or to redefine its narrative by other people. Okay. And so what what I think this episode has done, it it really makes us go back and say, what does manhood mean to African men in the African world community in the 21st century? Okay. How are we defining it? Are we defining it based on our cultural values or are we still looking through someone else's uh, pair of glasses. So I think this episode it brings up a serious question of how are African men defining African manhood, and are we defining it on our own terms? You know, I, I think that's a question for every African man to sit with himself and ask an answer. Hmm. Well, I definitely want to make sure that our code keepers, our mm-hmm. precise thinkers, walk mm-hmm. away with something that they can use. Um, yes. So earlier, I shared some of Dr. Opal's mm-hmm. uh, content. Mm-hmm. And now I just want to share her website. So if you're interested in learning more about Dr. Opal, you know, we played some of her video later, or, I mean, earlier. Mm. Um, 
uh, she's the truth, man. Okay, here we go. I just I'll just leave this up. Okay, that's her and her dog. Um, she's an interesting sister. Is interesting, man. Um, mm-hmm. When I first learned about her, um, you know, she was talking about the millionaires mindset, and she was helping black women to become millionaires. Mm. And then she married her wife and and then later on she divorced her wife and now she's dating uh, some male and she's talking about how it's like being a queer woman dating a, a man and it's, it's, it's just kind of interesting. It, it, in some ways it's messy and she embraces messiness and she mm. says make your mess your millionaire um, and so I'm not pushing her because of her messiness <laughs> by any means. Um <laughs> But uh, she does have some really interesting content when it comes to dealing with trauma. Right. And she's gone through a lot. She has truly oh, yeah. gone through a lot, man. She, I mean, uh, uh, verbal abuse, physical abuse, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, sexual abuse, mm-hmm. abandonment. Right. A, a lot. She's gone through a lot, a lot. Mm-hmm. And she teaches women how to heal by embracing the messiness and using that messiness to create a message and using that message to create millions. So, mm. you know, I salute the queen for doing that. Uh, hopefully things will go well with her and her new boyfriend, uh, uh, fiance. He actually engaged, they're engaged oh, right okay. now. All right, yeah. cool. cool. So it's great to see her on a healing journey. Right. And she's very transparent about it. But more importantly to this conversation, mm-hmm is she has videos and content that teaches us how to deal with our inner inward syndrome. Mm, okay. How to deal with that level of thinking that we have to deal with each other by attacking each other on our lowest level. Right. She has information on how people can heal. Mm-hmm. Because once again, when we looked at what happened on Sunday, you know, this was a traumatic response. In her eyes, and I'm beginning beginning now to believe that this was a traumatic response, and this was a traumatic response. Right. I I, I believe it now. I, I really believe that this and this are the signs of trauma that we talked about earlier. You know, when right. we talked about trauma, we talked about you know fight. So we saw mm-hmm. the fight. We saw the fawn or the freak out, and that freak out is when keep my wife's name out of your mouth. Right. And we saw Chris Rock freeze. Mm. And so, and, and one of the things that really bothered me is Chris Rock freezing. Mm. The think about being attacked publicly and not defending yourself. Okay. Why wasn't he defending himself? Because he was in a white folk space, yeah. And is and that she, is that why? And we didn't we we didn't want to you know. Of course, we got this thing where we don't want to appear bad, appear right. demeaning, appear to be in words the lowest mm-hmm. level in front of our white folks, right? And as I if think- they still have all the opportunity, and mm-hmm. we won't get opportunity unless we're accepted by the dominant society Mm -hmm. and and that's why i really questioned did chris rock really think through 
what he was saying as far as the dialogue because that's why i said why is it that certain people are fair game and other people are untouchables because they're both here they're both in words and okay. it's okay for in words to attract i mean to attack in words and and what that does is it speaks to or really it heightens the or exposes the contradiction of the level of powerlessness our people have within that industry okay because everybody's talking about yeah you know uh chris rock is making out like a fat cat he's getting all this money but you don't dictate policy you're not on the executive board of the screen actors guild you're not there at the riaa okay none of you own and control the apparatus of how your content is distributed or streamed so you've got money with no power what does that make you okay so just because you may be getting a lot of paper after this it doesn't change the power dynamics of what both of these men have to navigate in hollywood and that little incident it really exposes the level of powerlessness that we have as a collective within that industry because we never focused on gaining and acquiring power and the ones who have have paid a heavy price and two guys in particular robert townsend and bill duke who I have to commend for being able to navigate that jungle and still maintain, you know, who they are as African men. I, I really have to commend them for that, especially Bill Duke. All right. So, uh, hey, you've been checking out a new episode of Get On Code. We've been dealing with um, hurt folk, hurt folk, mm. hurt folk hurt folk mm -hmm. the inner inward syndrome mental health and we've used as an example brother will smith but that was just an example because really well i'm speaking for myself in this case will smith is truly an example and chris rock both are examples of what us in america particularly us men when I say us, I mean capital U, capital S, are experiencing. Hopefully that makes sense to somebody. Mm -hmm. I'm we sure. It get, will. Yeah, I'm sure it will. Uh, so mm -hmm. look, how do we change that? We get on code. We get on mm -hmm. code, we share the code, we teach the code, we become the code. Our code should be empowerment. Our code is not civil rights anymore. Our code is not representation because representation only matters a little. I know a lot of us talk about representation matters. Yeah, but only a little bit. Un poquito. Solo un poquito. Representation matters a little. Right. So we're not going along to get along. We're not going, you know, looking for representation. We're looking for empowerment and choosing our destiny, writing our policy, enforcing our agenda, enforcing our interests. That's what we need to be about.
Ashe. Ashe. Uh, any last words, Minister, man? No, I think you summed it up, you know, but particularly <laughs> for, for, for African men, for African men, if you want to, you know, change direction of this, then you are the one that has to define what is African manhood and do it from your own paradigm and not using someone else's pair of glasses. I say that. Hey, we've been chatting with uh, Minister Zumbi Shawala, uh, author of the Great Manifesto Goat. And, uh, yo, Minister, we've been doing this the last few episodes. Why don't we end by uh, dropping some of your jewels, man? Let me, mm. Let's end with dropping some of your jewels. So okay. if you were to pick up the gospel of Afronomics theology, then you're going to find some really interesting tidbits in there. One of those tidbits is called cultural tithing. Look, 30 seconds, 30 seconds. Okay. If you can do it, 30 seconds. Cultural right. tithing, go. Cultural tithing. You take a dime out of every dollar and you give it to a race first organization that looks out for your your welfare and your benefit that's cultural title beautiful be a cop okay we are in a paradigm where we must create own and produce content or whatever it is whatever product that we have to offer to the market Ooh. become a 20 dollar revolutionary actually my wife and i both did this today we actually oh, were like forty dollar right. total. We we're probably like an eighty dollar revolutionary because <laughs> <laughs> um, you we went to okay. two different spots. But how can we become a twenty dollar revolutionary? And what does that do? Okay, becoming a twenty dollar revolutionary every week. Commit to making a twenty dollar purchase from a black owned business or entity, be it brick and mortar and or e commerce. Okay. As we continue to do that, we will begin to redirect money back into our economy. Okay. Imagine just from this one habit in a year, you can redirect or you can attract 52 billion back into our economy. How many jobs can we produce? How many institutions can we build? Industries that we can begin to dominate just by one habit. All right. The science of beef. Okay, science of beef. Beef is an acronym. Beef stands for business, economics, entrepreneurship, and finance. Okay, because economics is a science of how do you take, quote unquote, limited resources and utilize them to maximize them to your benefit. Uh, Paul Zane Pilzer, he refers to it as economic alchemy. By taking what you have and manifesting more. All right. I want to say salute to Augustus Newman. The youth are being manipulated by agents of chaos from media to music. The ninja syndrome has out there hating each other and killing one another. And Augustus, man, thank you for bringing that to our awareness. Thank you for being on code, Augustus, man. Um, hopefully you're part of the solution. Hopefully you're part. So look, if you're watching this, and you see what Augustus, you know, that dime, that 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 brilliance that Augustus just shared with us. Become part of the solution. 
So they're being manipulated by agents of chaos. We, 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 capital W, capital E, we must become agents of stability. We must become agents of insight, agents of consciousness, agents of forward movement, agents of staying, getting, learning, and becoming the code. And once that happens, here's the deal. Like uh, the Honorable Minister uh, Prophet Elijah Muhammad stated, if you give a man a glass with dirty water and a glass with clean water, they'll choose the clean water. Ashe, choose that be the clean water. Be the clean water. Thank you, Augustus. And you've been checking out Get On Code. So as we say, get on code, share the code, teach the code, become the code. The code is empowerment. The code is empowerment. And we love you. Peace.